Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. If you have been coming to worship here for a while and you feel that this is your spiritual home, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to become a member, and that involves taking a class and signing the book. So also, if you've been a member here for a while and you feel that you would like to step into leadership of this congregation, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to do that, and please speak to me about how to start becoming more and more one of the leaders of this congregation. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please join me in our chalice lighting words. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. What keeps us focused as a congregation is knowing what we're here for. What we're here for is our mission, and we say our mission every Sunday morning. Together we say... We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. You'll see in your bulletin that it says stewardship moment, and usually we have a member stand up and talk about why they support the church financially for the stewardship moment. John and Karen Franks were to stand up this morning, but this week, and some people will get do anything to get out of speaking in public. This week, John Franks developed appendicitis and had an operation. I'm not saying you did this on purpose, John. And so, um, obviously, he and Karen are not able to be here this morning. But I thought I would talk about uh, my partner, Kaya, and myself. We are doing the Pledge 123. You may have heard of Pledge 123 because the theme of our canvas is all aboard for the long haul, Pledge 123. And what that means is we're doing a three-year pledge opportunity this year. And in upcoming years, if it works well, we're hoping that over half the congregation will make a three-year pledge. And so Kaya and I are pledging for this year, which starts in January, And for the next year and for the next year, with an increase every year, right now we're about at 2% of my salary and we're hoping to get to 5% over the next three years, which is what we're hoping that the church as a whole gets to. In fact, we're pretty close to that now, giving away to our justice efforts 5% of the church budget. If we get a number of one, two, three pledges, here's what will happen. Number one, you'll be invited to a cool party if you're one of the one, two, three pledgers. 
Number two, the church will have um, an income stream that we can count on so that we can make our plans more than a year in advance. Number three, you know when you make a three-year pledge that you're on board for the long haul and that you're acknowledging that the way a church gets to what it wants to be is not instantaneous. It's gradual. And it happens little by little. Number four, you're saying to yourself and to the community, we're all in this together. I'm here with you. I'm not on the balls of my feet deciding, do I like this or do I not like this? I am wanting to support this community. It is a strong and um, historical habit and tradition in most churches that people get mad and quit. You all know the story of the man who was rescued from a desert island and the crew is asking him as they sail away from his island, what are those three buildings that are on the, on the island? Did you build those yourself? He said, yes, I built them myself. That first one, that's my home. The second one is the church where I went to worship the higher power that guided and comforted me. Uh, the third, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Obviously, there are good reasons, however painful, for leaving a church community. But what I'd like for us to know with one another is that we can count on each other and that we all know that we're in this for the long haul. And that's why we're doing the pledge one, two, three. That's why Kaya and I are doing it. So don't be surprised when someone calls you up and says, I'm your canvasser. That's church language for I'm the person who's going to talk to you about your relationship with the congregation and ask you what you want to pledge to commit to um, upholding and supporting this congregation. It's a member-supported group, which is why we can be government-influence-free. They can't tell us what to say or do. And it's why we can be advertising-free for now. We don't have to say, this service brought to you by Verizon Wireless. (laughs) Although I'm sure they would love for that to be true. We must fight to keep the corporations from taking over the churches. So that is why we have a fundraising drive. Today, I want to talk to you about the covenant of healthy relations that you all put together and voted on a couple of years ago. I'm going to be doing a series of sermons on it. But I need to talk to you about the concept of covenant first. The reason I'm doing a series this year is because we're looking at it again in order to see if it's possibility that some of us may want to use it as a spiritual discipline. Really take it home and take it to work and try to live according to it in our day-to-day lives, not just when we're within these walls. And so the members of the Healthy Relations team, a couple of them were here in the first service and stood up. Are there members of the team here that people could clap eyes on? Margaret Borden. And anybody else here? Okay. Um, So if you have thoughts during the year, she's one of the people that you're going to be talking to about it. 
Unitary Universalism, as I've told you, is, and you knew this already, is a, is a denomination with deep historical roots. We go back at least to the 1500s, and if you count it a different way, back to the 400s, and if you count it yet a different way, back to Abraham. So, one of the things that you may not know is that almost 500 years ago in New England, there was a group of people starting what they call the free church. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. So we're only going to go back 500 years almost today. You may know that uh, along with the Quakers, the Unitarian Universalists do not have a creed. We have seven principles that we all agree on and try to live by, but we do not have a list of beliefs that we recite as part of the worship service that you have to believe in order to be one of those in that community. We instead have a covenant. So a creed is something that you agree to believe, and a covenant is something that you agree to do. A covenant is kind of like a contract, only a contract is not built on love and trust. A covenant is built on love and trust. A contract is kind of built on not love and not trust. (laughs) So in the 1630s, about 20,000 Puritans from England had come over to New England. I guess they couldn't think of anything else to name it, and they didn't listen to the people who were already there. Uh, New England is what they called it. And they wanted to start a free church, by which they meant... A church that wasn't controlled by bishops, like the Church of England was. And a church where you got to choose your own minister, instead of having one assigned to you. And a church where you could have some say in what was going on, instead of just coming to worship and taking communion and going home. So, a group of them started meeting in one another's homes... Dedham, Massachusetts. They had five or six homes. They met every Thursday night. And Thursday night lectures, by the way, continued in the Unitarian Church well into the 1800s. But they met every Thursday night to talk about what kind of church they would like and to talk about various topics. And if you were hosting at your house, you got to pick the topic. But you had to give it a week in advance so nobody would just be talking off the top of their head because that doesn't interest anybody really. So they could have considered thoughts on the topic. And then um, the host who had chosen the topic would speak first to the question. But it's interesting, the notes that we have from this time, 1637 to 1638, they talk about how they wanted to talk together. They said, we want the host to talk first, and then we want each person in turn to speak, and we want them to speak to the question at hand. They may also raise a closely related question and speak to it, but you can't say, That reminds me of uh, the Pony Express. I think we should have one. Closely related question. Or you could state any objections or doubts concerning what others had said. But here's how you state your objections or doubts. 
quote. And all these quotations and this history is from a series of six lectures called the Men's Lectures in 2000 by a retired colleague and historian um, named Alice Blair Wesley. Okay, here's how you raise doubts and questions. Quote, so it were humbly and with a teachable heart, not with any mind of caviling or contradicting. No caviling or contradicting. (laughs) I'm thinking, if really, if you kind of rewound the Unitarian Universalist congregational tape back, oh, I don't know, 50 years, maybe 60% of our conversation would be erased if there were no caviling or contradicting. So I just want you to know that... um, what the tradition we're standing in nearly 500 years later is a tradition where we're trying to get back to the way that they reasoned together then. The report is that they reasoned peaceably, lovingly, tenderly, and much to edification. They built one another up rather than tearing one another down. So we're standing in that same tradition where we love and ideally will have peaceable reasonings. One question they dealt with back in 1637, 1638 was, isn't this fun though? Just meeting in our houses and talking about stuff. Why do we have to have a church? And the way they answered it was, this is too casual. It's not structured enough. The less structure you have, the more likely it is that the dominant and noisy people will take over. And if you have structure, it makes it fairer and clearer for everyone. And if we really want to walk in the ways of the spirit of love, then we intentionally form a deeper community where the spirit of love is what guides us and where our loyalties are to the spirit of love. In addition to this, The reason we want to have a church instead of just meeting in one another's houses is that because we want to support a just and civil society. And we will be more concentrated in our care and more visible and more audible if we speak as a group and as a church than if we are just having conversations in one another's houses. We are here to let our own commitment and loyalty to the spirit of love ripple out into the community. Now I'm quoting Reverend Wesley's lecture. Free churches are made up of people who have covenanted to walk together, live together, or meet often in patterned ways or in order in the spirit of mutual love. People have covenanted to do this over a great stretch of time In the Hebrew scriptures, God makes a covenant with families, beginning with Sarah and Abraham, and then the nation of ancient Israel, beginning with Moses. And this organizational pattern is the one element of our ancestors' doctrine that we liberals have most consistently kept in our liberal free churches. We've changed and jettisoned almost everything else, um, but we've kept our grounding in wanting to be structured by and committed to the spirit of love. So historically, we liberals remember our covenant and forget our covenant and remember our covenant and forget our covenant. And we're in a 
time where we are, as a denomination, remembering that we are a covenantal church and that each congregation is a covenantal community, which is why your interim minister, Janet Newman, wanted you to create a covenant of healthy relations because we are in a period, as Unitarian Universalists, of remembering that we are a covenantal community and that even if we don't have a creed, the covenant is what holds us together. And so the covenant that you all created and voted on begins like this. As a religious community, we promise, so it begins as a promise, to nurture the spiritual growth of people of all ages in our congregations, in our church. To nurture the spiritual growth of people of all ages in our church. And then it keeps going, and I'm not going to take the time to read it all to you right now. It's written in House and Hall where we're going to have our coffee hour. So you can read it there. It's online as well. But I'm just going to talk about the word covenant and the very first line of what you all wanted to agree to, the spiritual growth of people of all ages in our church. And it ends with, thus do we covenant with one another. A promise built on mutual trust and love. The reason that you all wrote a covenant of healthy relations is because even though you could have just said, we would like for our congregation to be founded on and loyal to the spirit of love, that needed some exposition. It needed some detail work. It needed, to use a corporate word, some unpacking. So you all... Uh, wrote out the details of what you would like for it to mean in this particular congregation. What does it mean to ground our community in the spirit of love? And what might it mean to influence the world with our interactions with one another, which then ripple out into our families, we hope, and then which ripple out then into our workplaces, we hope, and our play places and into the world that way, what would it be like to influence the world with our love for one another? And um, I love this. I also want to add that I think the world also can be influenced by um, brilliant, clear, loving, and well-reasoned conversation. Probably not by shouting at it and probably not just by putting a link up on our Facebook page. I would also love to believe that the world can be changed by some judicious use of sarcasm. It's not really in our covenant. And it's possible that people don't really change from a judicious use of sarcasm, even though it's really fun for the user. Um, So I may have to I don't know, work on my spiritual development, which I hate. (laughs) It's much more fun to work on um, somebody else's. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing y'all put in your covenant is to nurture the spiritual growth of people of all ages in our church. Since this Unitarian Universalist congregation, um, I will tell you my opinion 
of what spiritual growth is, and then you may add to it yours or subtract from it or whatever. What I, uh, what my opinion is, has really absolutely no bearing on what you all have to think. Um, spiritual growth, in my opinion, is what makes you a more loving person, a more kind, patient, compassionate, joyful, peaceful, self-aware, and self-controlled person. A spiritual person is able to be open to awe, to have perspective, to be concerned for others. A spiritual person will eventually know when to speak and when to be quiet, when to offer help and when not to offer help. A spiritual person will have the experience more and more often of wisdom coming out of his or her mouth from an unexplained place. You all have had that experience where you say something and you go, wow, I didn't know I knew that. Pretty good. Where did that come from? That's a spiritual experience. A spiritual person, again, my opinion, will be fun to be around, not self-righteous. I have seen people that, that were kind of being professional spiritual people who, um, who felt apparently that it was spiritual to speak in a voice like this, very quietly, and not to blink and to, <laughs> to hold their head at an angle like this and, and really to be almost inaudible. I do not think spiritual people are going to be boring. Um, Again, just my opinion. So we promise to nurture one another's spiritual growth and that of the children in the church. And so, my friends, um, what I want to say is that it is the job of the whole church to pass our traditions and our faith down to the next generation's We are here, yes, for ourselves, but the reason that we take an offering, the reason that we have a budget, the reason that we're talking about building, it's not for us, it's for the kids. We're trying to build this place so it'll be there when they want to get married, and it'll be there when they're in high school and they need support, when people tell them right and left that they're going to hell, or when we we need this place to last a long time, not just for us but for them and for the people who are going to find us. And so you are the teachers in the congregations, not just the parents. We're all the teachers and the teacher's assistants, which is coincidentally what they're looking for in the gallery. If you feel called to be an assistant, they need you back there. Our children need you. And you'll have an interesting time because here is something about a congregation. The children are very cool here. And it would be lovely if our children had the experience of 300, 500 grownups who knew their names and who could greet them and who knew what they were interested in. My two boys had the experience of um, 300 grownups in my church and 2,000 grownups in their dad's church knowing who they were because they were the preacher's kids. And it's given them a kind of a gravitas in the world, an at-homeness in the world that I would like for our children to have, to have a bunch of grownups who are interested in you and who talk to you as if you're a human being. Because, my friends, by the time our children are, I don't know, five, they're almost grown up. And by the time they're nine, they know way more chemistry than most of us do. 
And so when you're talking to a nine-year-old like this, you're, you're out of touch with what a nine-year-old is, my friend. And it would be good to be in touch. And to be in touch would be good to be in the classroom every now and then. So that's all I'm saying. The other way that we encourage spiritual growth for people of all ages in our congregations is through our small group ministry. We call them chalice circles. And our chalice circles are signing up new members now, also in the gallery. Um, If you're in a chalice circle, what will happen is that over the course of a year, you're going to get to know another 4 to 12 people much better than you could know people just on a Sunday morning. And you'll have conversations that are at a deeper level than you can have at coffee hour. These are structured conversations. So you come in, you sit down, you light the chalice, you have readings. And then you have questions, which you then discuss with one another. And in that way, it's a structured experience. And you have a leader who will keep the noisy and dominant people. I keep talking about them because I am one. They'll keep the noisy and dominant people from taking over the discussion and will help the shyer people have some time to talk if they want to. And these are this is what a chalice circle is like. And then um, every now and then, they change up and you get to know 4 to 12 different people. So if you have an interest in being in one of these small groups, please do see the people in the gallery who are signing up folks for small groups. See, the gallery is this place that not only has beautiful art that changes, but it also has tables that are in themselves like doorways, gateways into the life of our congregation. And so if you're feeling like, oh gosh, I only come on Sunday morning, I'm not really sure what's going on, my friend, knock on any one of those doors, like tables, knock on any one of those doors and they will open to you a whole uh, world of experiences within the congregation that will be deeper and more colorful and more vivid than just our experience on Sunday morning. Not that this isn't fabulous. So when we join this community, we promise one another that we will do what we can to be a beloved community, that we will meet together often to find the ways of love as best we can do. And we've found that there is always more to learn about how love works in our lives and in the world. It's a good path. We've been doing it for almost 500 years, at least. How about 500 more? And now please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. And now as we listen to the rain all afternoon, may our souls be watered. May our spirits and our minds and our bodies be watered by this gift from the sky. May we ourselves find within us a fountain of blessing. And may we be so well watered by all of the things that nourish our souls that we are fountains that overflow and also refresh the people who are around us. May it be so. Let us go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, 
visit our website at www.austinuu.org.